0: Now these are the words of the letter of Jeremiah the prophet sent to Jerusalem for the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jechaniah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the Smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of 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 Alaska. Um, The
1: son of Shaph and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, from Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying. Okay, I probably need to look at something right here. So let me do that real quick. Right. Okay, I think Caleb, where are you? Well, I need to answer this. Um, so, what you got right here? Jer- You've got a letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to to who? To the remainder the of the, the Prophet's and all the
0: people. Where? In Babylon.
1: Yes. Where's Jeremiah? So, who are the people in Babylon?
0: People have been taken away in the previous
1: two waves. Exactly. You've got part of the people already in exile, those first two groups. You've got the other part of the people still in Jerusalem. Normally, which side does Jeremiah speak to? The one still in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Do the people in the exile have any prophets? Yes. Like? Ezekiel. Ezekiel, especially. So, Ezekiel is normally the one speaking to the exiles. Jeremiah is normally the one speaking to the people still in Jerusalem. But in this particular case, God has Jeremiah send a letter to the exiles and tell them some things. Obviously, God can use prophets in whatever uh, situation. This is after the first two ways of exiles, uh, verse 2. And the letter was sent by Elisa... And Gemariah, who are both sons of, of men who played important roles in Josiah's reforms. Now, actually, Elise, the son of Shaphan, anybody remember just a couple hours ago the name of the, the son of Shaphan who protected Jeremiah? Uh-huh. Ahaikum. Very good. That's in twenty six twenty four. This is Ahaikum's brother and another guy who carry this letter with them to take to the ones already in exile in Babylon. Does that make sense? I just thought we'd start with that little reading to kind of get the context. That what we're going to read now then is the letter God has Jeremiah speak to the exiles. Thoughts, comments. Okay, so, 4 to 19.
0: Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon: build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there, and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. <clears throat> you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations. And from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Because you have said, The Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. For thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your brothers, who did not go with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending upon them the sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like split-open things that cannot be eaten due to rottenness. I will pursue them with a sword, with famine, and with pestilence. And I will make them a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse and a horror and a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, which I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets. But you did not listen, declares
1: the Lord. Okay. So this is the letter Jeremiah sends to the exiles. And he says to the exiles, To do what in Babylon? Be comfortable. Exactly. You know, plan to stay a while. <laughs> so uh build build your houses, uh plant gardens, uh, you know, marry, uh have kids. Um uh, give your kids in marriage and have grandkids and things like that. Now the implication of all that is you're gonna, be there. you're gonna be there a good while. It's gonna be your home, better act like you're gonna live there. You know, and in fact, even to verse 7: seek the welfare of the city. Pray for this city. You know. God had told Jeremiah not to pray for Judah, for example in Jeremiah 14, now he tells these exiles, pray, pray for Babylon. You know, if Babylon does well, it's going to be easier on you guys. So you better pray for the well-being of the nation of Babylon. Uh, so, he's just really saying you're going to have to create like a new community. You know, you're going to have to put down roots. That's really good advice. That is the thing I never did when I moved to Brazil. Now, we moved to Brazil intending to stay for two years and stayed for three. But something that I realized by the time I left Brazil is that I had never, ever let myself be at home there. So my everything I did was like, I, I need to do all I can because I've just got two or three years. So there were a lot of things I didn't do. We didn't particularly set our house up to stay there long. We bought everything as cheap as possible, thinking we just needs to last for two years. We didn't much take like a vacation or do touristy things or other things. We're just staying here for a couple of years, you know. Everything was like we didn't we didn't act like residents as much as we act like you know we're just here on a temporary assignment. And I realized by the end of the time, if I was going to live there more long term, I really needed to change my mentality. I would have needed to do some things differently to sort of look at this. Okay, if this is home, now i got to plan more permanently. I've got to look at it differently. I think that's what he's saying to them. You guys have got to settle down. You've got to develop a mindset and then actions that proceed from that that are like, this is where I'm going to stay. 70 years. Wow. You went into captivity today. How long are you going to be when... Uh, when captivity is over. Now, 70 years is from the first wave to Babylon's fall. Uh, but still, wow, that's a long time. Now, even from the last wave of captives until Babylon's fall was nearly 50 years. You know, how old are you? 16? 22? You know, add 50 years to that. You going to be a place that long? might as well have a place to live, find a garden and you know, uh, plan on you know, raising your family there and things like that, that's what Jeremiah is saying, do you suppose the exiles like to hear that now they were really looking for this to be an incredibly short term stay, I doubt that that was very popular, but it is the truth, you know and and, you know he says uh, don't Listen to the false prophets in verse eight that deceive you. And these dreams they tell you about, they prophesy falsely. Verse 9, I haven't sent them. They keep telling you everything's going to be okay. What matters is what I say God, you know, not what the false prophets say. You know, and God will bring the sword of pound them and pestilence, you know, again, uh, if they uh, on them it with if they don't listen. Um, then when seventy years are done, verse ten. Then I'll bring you back. God ultimately intends to bless them. But that's ultimately. You know, after the seven years, then you'll call on me and pray to me, and I'll listen to you, and you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. By the way, verse 13 is a great verse. You know, that's that's just a great, that's a classic verse right there in 29 13. And I'll be found for, for by you and I'll bring you back, and and all that. It will be good in the end. He is saying that, but it's 70 years from now, not now. Thoughts and comments about what he's saying through this. Michael?
2: Uh, verses 12 through 14 really remind me of uh, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen where he talks about that if they humble themselves and pray and seek him with their whole heart, that God's going to listen to them, and after he's punished them, he's going to heal their land and will restore them.
1: Yeah. That's a... Yeah, great, great passage. I agree. Yeah, those are kind of classic texts for us. Other thoughts? Sarah? it.
0: Just, it... You refer to them as classic text, and they like classic texts for the exile as well. I mean, this whole passage is, and I sometimes wonder if we forget that we're we're kind of you know sojourners here, and it might be wise to be praying for the land in which we live. We know it's temporary, but it's it's like a it's like our 70 years, uh, almost literally. Um, so then,
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, so. uh, some of us probably are a little bit out of that but, uh, but. but see, that,
0: that same idea of you know growing roots not in the sense of being so wrapped up in this world but in being part of this place and doing good for this place to the extent that you can
1: it, yeah I think it's largely uh what we do, even as Christian, our citizenship isn 't here, and yet this is our residence for now, and we our bigger problem maybe is developing a mindset that this is where we want to stay, not where we want to stay, but it is where we 're living for now, and uh, so we 're going to have to uh, you know adapt to that. He also has some really strong words, again, for these false prophets. Man, they have messed things up so much. And he says, I'm sending on them, sword, famine, pestilence, and I'll make them like split open figs that are so rotten you can't eat them. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I'd ever use that illustration, but uh, that's interesting. And there'll be a terror, a curse, a horror, a hissing, a reproach, because they haven't listened to my words. Uh, so, very strong words for the false prophets. And, and some very sobering words for the exiles. This is the message he's sending uh, to the exiles. Thoughts and comments through verse 19. So it almost
2: seems
0: like each wave kind of had its own chance to, you know, still stay and not be taken. But, like, they all disobeyed, so they all eventually
1: got taken. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they, he sent a lot of waves of prophets. They would not listen to any of them. Cameron.
2: Uh, Verse 7, where it says to pray to the Lord on on their behalf. I think that's cool to notice that some of them listen to this, like Daniel um, and Nehemiah and Ezra. And in fact, the kings even notice that they are praying for them and that it's doing something. Um, Like in Ezra, I think chapter 6, Darius is uh, asking for Ezra to pray on their behalf. Um, I think that's just kind of cool that the people around them, that this wasn't the God that they served but they recognize that even these exiles, these servants of theirs, their prayers were actually doing something. Good point.
1: Other thoughts? Okay, how about 20 to 23?
2: Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity, through my sight from Jerusalem to Babylon. As says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning Ahab, the son of the and Zedekiah the son of he prophesied a lie to you, reminded I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my ears, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know, and witness
1: witnessed Okay, now this is a specific statement. You got to look at this. This is very clear. But if you don't look at it, you pass over it. This, this is the Lord's message concerning two men. Who are the two men? Ahab and Zedekiah. And it's not the Ahab, and it's not the Zedekiah. Now, you know, that really confuses us in the Bible. But it shouldn't. Good grief. I mean, we got a bunch of multiple names among us. You know, we understand that. I mean, you know, we probably got a few here right now. I'm not seeing them, but, you know, I bet we do. And you certainly do in most groups. I mean, most churches that I've been in. You know, you had a lot more people than names because you had so many multiple people with the same name. You know? So, no big surprise. Who are Ahab and Zedekiah then here? False prophets. They are false prophets... And what is God saying is going to happen to these false prophets? They're going to become a byword and a Yeah. They're going to be delivered into Nebuchadnezzar's hands, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to do something really bad to the point where people are going to end up saying, I wish my enemy the destiny of Ahab and Zedekiah. They're going to be used in a curse. That to, to use their names as a curse is to say, may you be like Ahab and Zedekiah. You know, it's almost like saying, may you be like Sodom and Gomorrah or something, you know, where you destroy. What did happen to Ahab and Zedekiah, evidently, at Nebuchadnezzar's hands? They
0: were burned.
1: They were actually roasted, yes. <laughs> they were roasted in the fire. I just think that's a more graphic term. Yeah. You know, I do that with marshmallows. <laughs> Well, they were the uh, human marshmallows for Zedekiah. Now, I think that's rather, for a Nebuchadnezzar, rabbit, I think that's rather interesting. Because, does that tell you anything about what Nebuchadnezzar is capable of that might uh, have some importance in another Bible story? He's capable of throwing people into furnaces. Why? He threw... Yes, remember those guys? Well, I guess uh, Nebuchadnezzar's had experience with roasting people in the fire that particular experience in Daniel 3 didn't turn out quite the same way but it is interesting that that apparently is a uh, common uh, you know, disciplinary technique on uh, Nebuchadnezzar's part uh, so that's what's going to happen to these guys and uh, there, the people are going to say may you be like the Zedekiah and like Ahab whom by the king of Babylon roasted the fire now the interesting thing is, is these aren't just false prophets what else have they done that's bad I don't yeah they have actually fooled around with their neighbor's wives isn't that strange you know I mean they're false prophets but they're also, also sexually immoral would you expect those two things to be connected? Their false prophecy is not about, you know, sexual sin. The false prophecy is uh, they're coming back, you know, within a couple of years. So what's the link? Spiritual adultery and
0: physical adultery.
1: Okay, maybe so. I think of something maybe a little bit more conceptual.
2: Well, apparently in one area, why would you expect, respect
1: it in another area? I think that's exactly right. It is common for false teachers to be immoral. Because if you are concerned to try to honor the Lord by listening to and obeying and teaching what he says, are you really going to be that concerned about what God says about your life? You know, people who don't live right normally don't preach right. People who don't preach right normally don't live right. Don't be shocked When these TV preachers are caught in some act of horrendous sin, well, what would you expect? They're preaching horrendous stuff that clearly doesn't come from the Bible. They're lining their pockets with the, uh, you know, hard earned money of their followers who they're impoverishing to furnish their lavish lifestyle. No big surprise, their behavior is immoral. So expect. People's lives and teaching to match. When he says about the false prophets in, say, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, the Sermon on the Mount, he says they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. What does he say you can know them by? Their fruits, yeah. And, and really, their fruits, I think, is twofold. You know them by their behavior, the fact that they're wicked people is a pretty good sign their prop- their preaching is probably not true. And you know them by what they teach. You can test them by their teaching, which is also part of their fruit. Usually, the teaching and the lifestyle go together. That's the point. And so God, but, but these two false teachers they have in Zedekiah, evidently their destiny was to be roasted in Nebuchadnezzar's fire. Comments or questions? Right. And for somebody before, talks about false teachers that are is seared with hot iron. Yes. You know,
2: if we want to come to the knowledge of the truth, we have to want to live by the truth. Otherwise, you have to adapt your message to how you're living. So really, false doctrine a lot of times comes from, to help, you know, your conscience help you feel better about yourself.
1: Yes. Now, you know something that we often believe, but it's often not true? I think we often believe that false teachers are just sincere, but they're honestly deceived. I'm not saying there aren't any deceived, sincere false teachers, but the Bible talks way more about false teachers that are just selfish and willful and they've got a bad heart. Read 2 Peter 2 sometime. Read Jude sometime. I think we're conditioned by this idea that everybody's basically good. you know. And so a false teacher, well, he must just be deceived, honestly. I mean, he's really a good person. There's a lot of not good people who teach the Bible. And a lot of people who don't care about what God says. They just want to be popular. They just want to have influence or whatever. So again, we don't assume the basic goodness of a false teacher. Other thoughts? 24
2: to 32. To Shemaiah the Nahalimite, you shall speak, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have sent letters in your own name to all the people who are in Jerusalem. And to Zephaniah the son of Maasiah, the priests and all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priests instead of Jehoiada the priest, to be the overseer in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and the iron collar. And now, then, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth who prophesies too? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying that exile will be long. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Zephaniah the priest read this letter to Jeremiah the prophet. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Send it to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehelamite, Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, although I did not send him, and he has made you trust in a lie, therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to punish Shemaiah the Nahelamite and his descendants, and he will he will not have anyone among, living among his people. And he will not see the good that I am about to do to my people,
1: declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against the Lord. Another specific incident. I like these. Now, I always like historical narratives. And I like making this concrete. We actually find out a particular incident here. And, uh, but again, if you don't know this already, you have to read this two or three times before it, you kind of sort out what's happening. This is the message God has given Jeremiah to give to Shemaiah. Shemaiah has done something and, and God is speaking back to Jeremiah, uh, through Jeremiah to him. Now, what he did, what Shemaiah did, verse 25, was what? Sent a
0: letter.
1: He sent letters to... People
0: in Jerusalem and Bethany.
1: Yes, exactly. All right. So Shemaiah is in Babylon. He sends letters to the people in Jerusalem and particularly to Zephaniah the priest, not the Zephaniah. (laughs) Uh, So Zephaniah the priest saying, now here's the message to Zephaniah. This is from Shemaiah the exile to Zephaniah the priest back in Jerusalem. The Lord made you priest to be the overseer over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and in the iron collar, that, now then why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth who prophesies? He sent us this letter in Babylon, saying the exile will be long-built houses, live in them plant gardens, and eat their produce. So Shemiah writes to Zephaniah, and says basically what? Stop Jeremiah. Furthermore, God put you in that position to do so. Yeah, and you have been doing your job. You know, here's a flagrant case that you should have done something about. You're not supposed to let these madmen like Jeremiah just go on and do anything they want to willy nilly. You need to put them in stocks, in the iron collar. You know, stop them. There needs to be an official reprimand and punishment. You know, it's almost like Shemaiah saying to Zephaniah, you've gone really soft. I'm disciplining these these nutcases who are writing these letters. Stop him. Silence him. What in the world are you doing in this function if you're not going to do your job? And he basically cites for Zephaniah the words of Jeremiah's letter we've just been reading. Pretty good summary, the exile will be long build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. That, I don't think he misquoted Jeremiah on that. You know, that is what Jeremiah said in that letter. But he's saying, well, that's just an outrageous thing for him to write. What in the world was he thinking when he wrote that? Why does Shemaiah think that message from from Jeremiah was so outrageous? because it was completely contradictory to what he was saying right? exactly, it was totally opposite of what he said and the prevailing opinion that their exile was just a blip in the screen of peace and prosperity for the people so they're going to go back in no time so he, what he's saying is totally opposite of what we know the truth is we know the truth is that because that's what I'm saying, that's what everybody believes and it's wrong so you shouldn't have let him out. You know, cage him back up. Uh, he, he has no business on loo, the loose to spread his venom. You know, or whatever we'd say. People really get riled up when you teach, tell them the truth. You know, if they disagree with what they believe, what they practice, or what their mommy and daddy believed, or whatever, they get really upset about it. They take it pretty personally. Look at the book of Acts. And look at how, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how some people would go to other cities just to smoke, smoke Paul out of there and get him, get, keep him from preaching there too I mean they had a real zeal for their cause of silencing the apostles and so uh, that's what you see here he, he's, he's really upset with Zephaniah for not having done more about this got that part? what does Zephaniah do with the letter? do you assume that's probably not what the idea was (laughs) you know reads it to the intended uh, object of the letter now I don't know what that means exactly but I take it Zephaniah didn't lock Jeremiah up I don't know whether Zephaniah is semi-supportive of Jeremiah mostly the leadership wasn't or if he just wasn't going to do anything about it But he reads the letter to Jeremiah without punishment, without consequence, as far as we can say, which leads God to tell Jeremiah, send to the exile, saying, thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah. Because Shemaiah prophesied what I didn't tell him to, I'm about to punish Shemaiah and his descendants. And he won't have any descendants who's ever going to see any of the good I'm going to do to these this people because he prophesied rebellion. So basically God tells Jeremiah, preach to uh, Shemaiah that neither his, him nor his family are going to have any part in the blessings I'll give to my people later. So that kind of backfires, I think, on Shemaiah. I don't think he expected Zephaniah to read it to Jeremiah and to get a prophecy back to all the exiles. Jeremiah's bad news. Thoughts and comments?
2: Was Zephaniah the son of um, Messiah, was he a brother of Zedekiah the son of Messiah in um, verse 21?
1: Don't think he could have been because he was a priest and Zedekiah was of the tribe of Judah.
0: No, right? How
1: do you know that a is in the trouble? The other said Oh, <laughs> my bad.
0: <laughs>
1: my bad. I don't know. Good question. Okay. got to, uh, Yeah, good point. I don't know. If so, he t- should have taken a lesson from his brother and uh, maybe uh, avoided uh, being fired up.
0: <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. I just kind of noticed that um, we preached rebellion against the Lord and it seems like that phrase has been said a couple times recently. Counseled rebellion against the Lord.
1: Um, yeah.
0: It seems just to be a thing that I've noticed in at least two instances.
1: Certainly not accepting the instructions about the exile they need to surrender etc. Um, that's rebellion. Now, they don't. They don't want God's message. They don't like it, and they're not accepting. It. Other comments or questions.
2: Tagging off of that comment, it reminds me of Romans, and where Paul's talking about. He's telling the Christians to submit to the th- authorities that God has placed in power, and that when we refuse to submit to the authorities that God has put into place, we are rebelling against His order, um, and. All these prophets are telling them that you're going back. They're not going to be under, under Nebuchadnezzar. The yoke is going to be broken. They're prophesying rebellion against God's ordained rule. Good point.
1: Yeah. That's so what it matters. That is what it amounts to. Other thoughts? Alright, well, this came out about right as far as the stopping point. Really, chapter 30 to 33 is a total change in tone. This is kind of Jeremiah now saying, more or less, now that you've been exiled, there is hope for the far future. And giving really messianic prophecies about the blessings that would later come for these people after they've been chastened and punished. So, uh, why don't we have a prayer to conclude and then we can talk a minute about what we
0: are... Uh